This is Ancient Faith Today with Father Tom Soroka, a weekly live call-in show addressing the issues of our day from a distinctly orthodox perspective. You can join the conversation by calling in at 855-237-2346. That's 855-AF-RADIO. Father Tom is the priest at St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and welcomes guests from across the globe to discuss important topics of interest. Here's Father Tom. Welcome to Ancient Faith Today Live. This is Father Tom Soroka, and I'm so glad that you're with us this evening. We'll be taking your calls in a bit at 1-855-AF-RADIO. That's 1-855-237-2346. Matushka Trudy will be answering your calls tonight, so please make sure to turn the show volume off before you come on air. Now, as always, you can send us a text message during the show anytime to 412-206-5012. That's right. Send us a text message. You're going to want to text some comments and questions about this one to 412-206-5012. And to participate online, the show is being streamed live via video on our YouTube page. And you can make comments there. Go to youtube.com slash Ancient Faith Ministries, and you will see our live video pop up right away. And as always, you can send us an email at aft at ancientfaith.com. So let's get started. The 2023 movie, Jesus Revolution, chronicled the growth of the so-called Jesus movement during the socially and politically turbulent times of the late 1960s and early 1970s. It was a time of mass and sometimes violent protests led by mostly young people against the Vietnam War and a time of shifting social and moral standards fueled often by Timothy Leary, who encouraged anyone who would listen to have a spiritual experience by taking LSD so they could turn on, tune in, and drop out. The movie focused on the work of Protestant pastor Chuck Smith, who led a small but dying church, and he met up with the wandering Christian hippie Lonnie Frisbee, and their burgeoning relationship produced a movement which transformed hundreds of thousands of teenagers and young adults to find a deeper meaning to their lives by following Jesus Christ. And while the movie rightly notes the lineage of the eventual growth of Calvary Chapel and the Vineyard Movement, another eventual trajectory involved leaders and followers of the Jesus Movement who eventually joined themselves to the Orthodox Christian Church. Notably, there were two men who were at the forefront, Jack Sparks and Dwayne Peterson, both of blessed memory, who eventually became Orthodox priests through the Evangelical Orthodox Church's eventual acceptance into the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America. And many others in the Jesus movement became Orthodox. And tonight, we're honored to have three outstanding Orthodox priests who have experience and direct memories of those unprecedented times. 
Father Basil Rhodes, pastor of St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in Saratoga, California. Father Stephen Freeman, pastor emeritus of St. Anne Orthodox Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And Father David Thatcher, Dean of Transfiguration of Christ Orthodox Cathedral in Denver, Colorado. Gentlemen, we had quite a, 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 a difficult time uh, contacting everyone together, but I hope you're all there. Welcome to Ancient Faith Today. Thank you. Good to be here. All right. Good. So, um, I, I want to maybe just go around, and if we could please, uh, let's answer one by one just some very simple questions here. What we want to do is ask you, uh, first, how did you encounter the Jesus movement, and uh, what was your impression of it? So what I'm going to do first is start with Father Basil. Uh, Father Basil Rhodes, uh, you are connecting via, uh, at least your audio is connecting via the, the telephone. So I want to find out from you, what was your experience of the Jesus movement? Uh, and what was your impression of it at the time? Father Basil, can you hear me? Not sure if you have the mute on. Check your phone there. Uh, what we're going to do right now is let's move to Father of Father David Thatcher. Father David, can you hear me okay? Yes. All right. Father David, uh, tell us about your uh, impressions and, and your first involvement with the Jesus movement. What were you doing at the time and how did you find, uh, how did you encounter that? Of course, I believe that you were in California at the time. Yep. I grew up near the epicenter of the Jesus movement, especially as portrayed in the in the Jesus Revolution movie, um, I was uh, raised in a Baptist church out there in Anaheim, California, in the shadow of the Matterhorn at Disneyland. And uh, we, uh, as young teens uh, in the early 70s, I, I wasn't even driving yet. Uh, we heard about this uh, this church out in the bean fields of Costa Mesa, uh, which wasn't far away. But uh, they still had agriculture in Orange County, and they anyway. So my my friends, they said, hey, they got a they have a rock a Christian rock and roll concert. This was unheard of, really. Uh, and and so uh, Saturday nights, I, I had a an older boy in the in the uh, in the youth group uh, who had a VW bug. You know, no carpets. It was pretty 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 <laughs> rough anyway. But you know, we jump in his VW bug and we go driving off, and there was a whole a bunch of cars that left from our area and went down to the to the rock concert, the Christian rock concert. And okay. uh, so that was our exposure. And the very first time I went, it was actually still in uh, a circus tent. The Jesus movement had started already. It was already years underway. but they, And they were oh. baptizing so many people from the counterculture. And, uh, and so they just didn't have room. So they put up this Barnum & Bailey three-ring circus and uh, and we heard the concert, but they would always preface the concert with about 25 minutes of singing these scripture songs, singing all, all, all new to us, really. But it were beautiful. They're simple. They were easily harmonized too. All these young people were harmonizing, and uh, it was kind of stunning, you know, because I was church services for me were 
you know, kind of the classic old-fashioned Baptist uh, sure. service. Sure. You know, 45-minute right. sermon, salt and pepper with a hymn, and just as I am at the end, and uh, that was about it. So, you know, uh, this was really new, and it really opened new horizons for me uh, in terms of worship and so on. That's really amazing. Um, I, I know that to those of us who are Orthodox Christians, um, that's a very different experience, right, than our liturgical worship. But it, yeah. um, it, it must, and even from a standard kind of Protestant service, like you said, this was really something new. Today, I think our younger listeners would not really appreciate that. This is, you know, the church of what's happening now. You can go to any non-denominational church, and you'll find music like that all the time. But yeah. you said that you encountered um, uh, uh, basically rock music or soft rock music that was uh, put to scripture verses and so forth. Um, so I think we have Father Basil on the line now. So Father Basil, can you hear us okay? I can hear you fine. All right. So let's hear some of your uh, thoughts, some of your memories about the uh, Jesus movement. How did you first encounter it, and, and what did you think of it at the time? Uh, the way I encountered it was uh, I had uh, been in a rock band for uh, a number of years and experimenting with all kinds of religion. You know, that was a time of seeking and really looking for something more than the ordinary, you know, kind of... Uh, worldly world and looking for god but always in eastern contexts and and whatnot and that became very disillusioning after a while so the quest continued and i had a friend from school who actually invited me to a bible study at a local methodist church and uh and there uh it wasn't so much the Bible study that was going on in the Methodist church that was so exciting, but there were two very well-known musicians from other bands that I was familiar with, and they had been caught up in the Jesus movement. And wow. they, they began, or I, I grew up in a small town in the Central Valley of California, farming community. But these guys were exciting because their lives had so completely, completely changed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I wanted to go where they were going. I wanted to do what they were doing. And so yeah. they invited me to this fellowship meeting where they probably had 30 guitars, you know, acoustical guitars banging <laughs> away. And, uh, and all these young people sitting around uh, still looking like hippies, you know. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it was exciting. It was exciting. Uh, the uh, the music was fantastic, and you know that was a time in our culture when when music was huge. You know, music right, was right. huge, and so and and of course this was all young people and cute girls, and all of that was uh, very very uh, <laughs> alluring. That's the truth. That's the truth. Uh, and so that's, that's what. And that's now amazing. we were not part of Southern California's. We were an outgrowth of Southern California. Okay. Uh, all those guys, Jack Sparks and uh, Gilchrist, all those people that were down there. Sure. Um, our people uh, came up from Southern California. They had been affiliated with Witness Lee. Anybody heard of him? Oh, oh yeah, Lee, absolutely. Watchman Nee, right? The little, yeah, the, sure. little church, the little flock movement in China. 
So at, at, at any rate, um, it was great. It was wonderful. It was exciting. Uh, I've got a little, if I could share, I've got, I've got a little letter here uh, with, uh, from somebody in that, in that time. I've been dead and resurrected in the Lord for a little more than a year now, and I thank the Lord that out of his tender mercy, he has numbered me with the saints to sit with him in heavenly places. The Lord Jesus has been doing so much around this town that I couldn't possibly list the things. I pray that I have stood fast in Christ's victory and have not fallen to corruption. Tomorrow, Saturday, I am taking a carload of the brethren up to the Festival of Light in Chico. We have seen the victory in Christ. Praise the Lord. That's my words. And I, this is I couldn't tell Christ. if that was St. Paul to the Ephesians or that was you. <laughs> that was my note to myself. And here is the poster for the Jesus Christ Festival of Light 53 years ago that That's we were amazing. handing out on the That's street amazing. to get young people to come. Yeah. <laughs> that is great. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Father Stephen Freeman, can you hear us? Yes, indeed. You hear me okay? All right. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I know it's a little awkward because you're using a camera and the phone, but uh, we appreciate your patience with this. So uh, tell us a little bit about your encounters with the Jesus movement. What was going on in your life at that time? And how did you uh, come upon this? Well, mine is an East Coast story because it was a national movement. I I listened to uh, my West Coast brothers there and uh, you guys got big tents and huge crowds and no doubt surfer girls um, in South. I was in South Carolina where I grew up. Uh, I was had, had become a Christian as a teenager, but was very influenced in uh, uh, with long hair and hippie stuff and involved in all of that. The first time I met someone who identified themselves as something with the Jesus movement, I was working in a head shop. Uh, on South Main in Greenville, which is now covered in high-rise condos and hotels, but back then was a dump. But uh, I was working in a head shop on the south end of Main Street, and there was a lot of, you know, we called them street people back then, and that's they were just hippies passing through. And I met a guy from California, and in talking, he described himself as a Jesus man. I had never heard a term like that, but I liked it. Um, but it actually was, uh, I guess, in my senior year of high school, um, I was uh, I was doing a lot of folk guitar and performing in places, and I was playing in a coffee house one night that was run by the Ministerial Association in Greenville. And uh, after my set, I was in the kitchen getting my coffee, and I ran into a student from Furman University, which is a local Baptist university there in Greenville. Um, who described himself uh, as a Jesus person. And I was – part of me was on on my guard because Greenville, South Carolina is like home to Bob Jones University, and getting spoken to about Jesus on the street uh, was very, very common and uh, often could be rather brutal, particularly if you were wearing long hair. Um, And so I was sort of – cautious about this guy. I wasn't certain what it was about, but he had the most amazingly peaceful radiance 
and way of talking. I mean, oh. it's like after talking with him for a half hour, I just thought, I don't know what this guy's doing. He doesn't seem to be on drugs, maybe. And uh, But I had just <laughs> never encountered anyone with that kind of tangible piece of it. And as things were winding down that night, he invited me to a prayer group. I went to a prayer group in a house off campus that was, and mind you, I'm a senior in high school, so technically I might have had a curfew, perhaps. But I, I got, I wound up getting home that night at four in the morning. Uh, but that wow. night, I ran into uh, a Jesus movement that was attached to, and this was a phenomenon. Uh, they don't talk as much about, but they were house churches that were starting here and there all over the country. And so these students had been attached to a, a house church. They were charismatic, so there was a kind of a Pentecostalism, and that was my initiation into that that night. And I began following up and going to meetings um, and uh, uh, various things, Bible studies, um, and uh, became I, I had been an Episcopalian, and I wound up uh, more and more that my life and Christianity was practiced in the context of this group. I announced to my parents at the end of that senior year that I wasn't going to college uh, and that I wanted to do oh. ministry on the street. And so wow. I didn't go to college at that time. Uh, I started running the coffee house uh, that sort of became something that we ran instead of the ministerial association. They housed it, but we ran it. I ran the coffee house um, and uh, worked a secular job, you know, just a regular job in a factory and various things, and uh, to support what was already a ministry then. And uh, started moved out of home. My parents, my dad said, if you're not going to uh, go, go to college, then get out. You know, very politely, <laughs> but leave. This is what you do. You go get a job, wow. which I did. And I moved in with a buddy from the house church, and we started a commune, which eventually numbered about 30 guys. And uh, we just did ministry. Uh, and uh, from the house, from the coffee house, uh, from on the street, um, and it there was a – and I'm sure this was true in California. There was a constant thoroughfare. It's like it's like not just being – a, a Jesus person. I, we said Jesus freak, not just being a Jesus freak, but on the mm -hmm. move. There was a constant movement. We would get people in from California, from uh, various places up north, elsewhere across the south. Um, and it was like, it was also like a word of mouth news going on. There was, there was a, there was a word of mouth uh, music going on. People were writing songs, uh, scripture songs here and there, and they just bring it with them. And you, so this was, you, there was, it was easy at that to almost feel like you were living the New Testament. Uh, I mean, for some of us, we were giving away everything we owned. Our life was doing this. And you had a sense that everybody, you know, that across the country, this was going on. Um, ours were not made up of large meetings, but there, I, I went to lots of house churches in various places within you know, driving distance, and we're constantly meeting people. So, um, it changed my life. That, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to follow up to that. Thank you, Father Stephen, so much because that really helps kind of uh, paint the picture of what was going on. And anybody that saw, and I, I'm, I actually never asked the three of you, have you all seen the Jesus uh, Revolution movie? Have you seen it? I have not. Father Stephen hasn't. <laughs> All right. So, I'm so busy but, being you know, 
but <laughs> but Father Basil and Father David have. So um, the you know what's very interesting about this is the picture that you paint Father Stephen. It is literally exactly what they picture in there, where this um, uh, Lonnie Frisbee is living in a commune, and then Greg Laurie is living in a commune. And what was it about the time? In other words, um, why why was it? What, let's go before the Ju Jesus movement. What was so attractive about uh, living freely? And and you know, you you referred to them. I think the hippies as uh, I, I don't remember the term that one the, of you the used. Street but, people. Yeah, street, street people. people. Um, today we would say that person was homeless, you know. But um, you're saying that this was a kind of political movement. So what was it about that time that people felt so free to kind of um, remove themselves from the structures of society and were just wandering around and living on the beach and, and playing music? And, and as I noted at the beginning, the attraction of uh, Timothy Leary and his philosophy of taking LSD to to encounter a, a spiritual life or God or a higher power, whatever he thought. So, what what made that time so pregnant for that type of lifestyle? I'm going to start again with Father David. What what do you think, Father? Why was that happening at that time? Yeah, I, I think that was, uh, I think the Jesus movement was a response to the counterculture movements that were happening in the United States already. And so, you know, the rejection of the status quo, you know, the, the, the conformist kind of world, the military industrial machine, uh, you know, uh. Uh, all, these, all these dynamics. So there was a political element to it, I think, but it was... You know, the response was, okay, we need to be radical and we need to, and we're going to do it with Jesus. We're going to, so it, it, it kept mm -hmm. that outside of the normal structures of the local church. I mean, it's interesting in that movie how, you know, Chuck Smith was, I mean, he was not on board at first. I mean, this was, there was something his daughter actually sort of helped him bridge into ministering to the counterculture. Uh, because, you know, he was afraid he'd lose his job as a pastor, you know. Um, and and so I think that, you know, then it was a deep commitment. I think it's twofold. One is they wanted to stay relevant to the what was happening culturally, especially in the youth culture. And I think that they wanted to be radical in the sense of a root. They wanted to really embody um, the gospel apart from the kind of, um, I don't know what, they, what it would be called, but the kind of the the tepid, highly structured suburbanite world of Christianity. I yeah. I see. Interesting. Father Basil, what about your reflections on the 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 changes of the time? And I, I'm actually sort of even trying to go back a little bit. So what you're saying is the um, this idea of freedom where people were just, you know, living trying to be groovy and, and whatever it was, free love, free sex, you know, peace, love and rock and roll and all this stuff. Um, you know, what, 
what was generating that? Was it the angst, the political angst at the time? Uh, in my recollection, the counterculture was definitely a reaction to the post-war American scene that seemed to be now the war is over. Everybody is now concentrating on making money, being successful, going to college, leave it to beaver. Uh, you know, it, it, it was a world that if somebody was serious about life at all, they would look at that and they would say, you know, that can't be all that there is, you know. What if the hokey pokey really was what it's all about? Uh, mm. uh, 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 so, and and of course that counterculture, you know, started with the beatniks, and then it grew into this big youth movement thing, and it was kind of a rejection of that vision of the world, that I that Weltanschauung, if you will. It's a, it's it's saying there's got to be more, and so the I counterculture. See was all about finding God. Callistos Ware pointed this out all the time. He said all of that counterculture stuff, all of that drug taking, all of that, you, you, you have to see it as what it was, and that was a search for God. And that materialism wasn't the answer to the world's problem. The answer is always the same. It's the search for God, and he is, and he is the answer. So for me, the, the Jesus movement is not uh, is not counter to the counterculture. It's a natural extension of, and maybe you could even say the fulfillment of the counterculture, because after a while, all that hippie hopefulness that was there in the beginning was crashing and burning with the drugs and the crime, wow. and it just completely Excellent. crashed. And so the some counterculture people and, and the people in the music were like, we started looking and saying, that is obviously not the answer. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. I appreciate it. Uh, Father Thomas Moore makes a uh, common friend of all of us. He, he uh, makes the comment. He says, don't forget about Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell. Yeah, that came out in the 70s. That was very big. Uh, and and that was uh, a reflection of the time for sure. Father Stephen, what about your insight into the the time? You know, in other words, what was really causing this? Um, you know, the, these these street people, as you said, to just chuck society and and leave uh, society as we knew it, and then. Uh, go on to something else or get involved in drugs, uh, and then those that then turn to Jesus uh, in this Jesus movement. What do you? How do you account for that? Why was that happening? Father Stephen, we're not able to hear you. Matushka, do we have? Wait, is his volume not up? Oh, there you go. Now we can hear you. Okay, sorry. All right, I was accidentally muting it. Um, the. You know, the scene in California, you know, everything I gather was much more like movies uh, and TV and Time Magazine's account of hippies. If you're living in the southeast, as I was in South Carolina, uh, it was a very thin movement. There were certainly uh, young uh, hippie types. Uh, there was actually a lot more mixing of black and white uh, culture, which was unusual in South Carolina at that time. And there was a, you know, there was some drugging that went on, and you know, in rock and roll music, we produced some some top name groups occasionally, but um, 
the you know I, the overarching thing of the 60s, especially the last half of the 60s and the early part of the 70s, uh, was the Vietnam War, uh, and people, uh, young people, don't quite have a feel for that. We lost roughly 60,000 American boys in Vietnam. That's 10 times, uh, uh, more than 10 times what we lost uh, in Iraq. And a lot of young people don't even remember Iraq already. That's the 90s, early 90s. But we had you know, nearly 60,000. So it really affected a lot. Everybody had somebody there. Most people knew somebody who died. And so there was the, the, the anti-war movement I was involved in the anti-war movement before uh, I ran into the Jesus freaks. And the first question I asked of the guy I met that night that made me nervous, uh, I want, though I saw a lot of peace in him, I wanted to know whether or not he was a pacifist. Uh, I've been reading the Sermon on the Mount, and as far as I was concerned, if you weren't taking those words of Jesus seriously, uh, then I didn't want to hear what you had to say about Jesus. And so there was an element, though it wasn't the strongest element that I ran into, but among a lot of them, uh, there certainly was a solidarity uh, of about uh, sort of the the whole the sort of the whole bourgeois scene of the military-industrial complex, politics, war. None of this. This was not a voting movement. This was not a political movement. Um, in fact, I'm still sort of completely dismayed. It's, I, I, I keep contact with a few of my Jesus Freak buddies, some of them who've kind of continued on in evangelicalism and are strongly involved in politics these days, and it just I find it dismaying. Um, but I remember right, right. when we talked about society in general, uh, as often as not, we described it as Babylon. Uh, we sounded like we were from the, the islands. That's how they uh, – refer to the United States as, as Babylon, and uh, we meant that as spiritually clear as possible. We, um, I think some of us really thought, first off, I don't think I thought Jesus was going to wait more than five years in coming back, so there was a, a deep sense of that, um, and um, a very serious sense that nothing, that that alone mattered. Uh, that discipleship to Christ was everything. I will say also this sort of a side thing: um, we there were lots of cults that sprang up at the same time. Uh, That's groups a good point. that practiced a great deal of control, uh, groups that practiced mm-hmm. strange doctrines and other sorts of things. Um, I think of Father, dear, uh, my dear friend Father Thomas uh, was at that time involved in a group that later evolved and became. Uh, orthodox, but at that time, um, they were wearing blue robes and lived down the street from, or had a house down the street from our commune. One of the elders of our commune went down to talk with them to find out what are these people, and came back and told us at a meeting, uh, they're Gnostics, don't have anything to do with them. And so, but that the idea that there was a group, of, a whole house full of Gnostics living down the street from you, wearing blue robes. Uh, that didn't strike us as strange. It just seemed like, well, there's one more group. Um, I will say, too, <laughs> right. though, that in terms of like ministering to street people, one of the common things, and this was sort of a little bit of reaction to the hippie stuff, we spent a lot of time uh, helping people get out of drugs. Um, we spent a lot of time in prayer and healing. I, I had a good friend who, when I first met him, couldn't read. 
he had just fried his brain on LSD. And I remember him sort of being a miracle story among us that through prayers of healing, he got his brain back. Um, there were uh, not, of course, as I said, I was in an inf- in a charismatic setting. Uh, uh, exorcisms were really quite frequent. Uh, we had people coming out of, of demonic uh, and uh, witchcraft and things like that. You could find anything. And... Uh, and it would be on college campuses or elsewhere in high schools. Um, and so nobody on the official medical level was dealing with this stuff. And nobody in the mm-hmm. uh, institutional church level uh, was saying anything that particular. I used to travel sort of in the, if you will, the give your testimony circle at some institutional church. Um because they were, they didn't know how to reach their own kids. Um, but I mean, so wow. there was, uh, there was real ministry going on uh, that nobody was doing. And so, but it was also a kind of do-it-yourself. And uh, we had some adults, uh, a, a young pastor who worked with us, who had to look back at it and realize he had a good theological education, a seminary degree, uh, and he was a very uh, solid doctrinally. And so, you know. We were Trinitarian and and uh, you know held to Scripture uh, as authority, but without being exactly fundamentalist, we weren't literalist in that same way. Uh, we didn't think it was wrong to have a glass of wine or uh, or to yeah. smile and be happy, well, uh, or to they, laugh in church, or to dance I, in church, which we did a lot of that too. <laughs> um, we we really enjoyed Father, ourselves. Thank thank you so much. That's so helpful. Also, and again, you're painting a very clear picture for us. We want to invite our listeners. Uh, There are, I'm sure, people that have uh, experienced the Jesus movement. Did you end up as an Orthodox Christian? I'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-855-237-2346. That's 1-855-AF-RADIO. Or you can send us a text message to 412 Two zero six five zero one two. Now, um, gentlemen, obviously you're all here because you became Orthodox priests, and you know I think the quandary about this particular movement for me is I'm I'm looking at it as an Orthodox Christian. I know it was a product of its time. Although, frankly, it's very interesting to me that each one of you mentioned the music. You, uh, you know, Father David, you mentioned how you were attracted to the music. Father Basil, you said, what beautiful music. Father Stephen, you said you were playing the music and you were meeting some of these guys that were in these bands. And, you know, um, here's, here's my sort of dilemma. And that is when we look at the movement and we say, look at all of these people that came to Christ through this movement. And then they might say, look at you Orthodox, you know, you, you like to sing music that's a thousand years old. And, you know, why don't you get with the program and sing some modern music, and the non-denominational churches have this, and they have guitars and, and drums and so forth, and we don't have those things. 
Um, my question is maybe a little bit of a difficult one, but it has to do with your then coming to orthodoxy. How did you deal with that? How did you contextualize what you went through, what you experienced, and then essentially, I would say, to a certain extent, gave that up to become an Orthodox Christian? How did you work that out in your mind? Because the, the movement, um, you know, has so many, um, has so many positive aspects to it. People were coming out of drugs. People were uh, loving God and were dedicating their lives to Christ. They were reading the Bible. They were healing other people. These are all really good things. But when you look at it, it looks very, if you'll ex excuse the term, it looks very unorthodox, right? So what led you then to become, to become orthodox and say, well, like, I'm not doing that anymore, right? Um, so do you understand my gist here? Father David, again, let's begin with you. What, what kind of made you flip the switch and say, okay, I, I'm not going to be uh, involved in the Jesus movement or Jesus freaks anymore. I'm going to be an orthodox Christian. Yeah, I think that happened in, in kind of three stages, uh, fundamentally. Uh, I grew up in, in a Baptist church, and honestly, while we were drawn to the Jesus movement, and we we participated in it, and we'd go witnessing on the beach, and we'd go door-to-door -door evangelism, and, and we did the guitar thing, you know, we did all, did all that stuff, but, but we were kind of still conservative, suburbanite Baptist kids, and, and, uh, but it had affected us. So I had the roots in the kind of classic evangelical dispensational. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, and then, and then we had this this engagement, which you know, and 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 you you mentioned the contrast, but honestly, um, you know, when you look at the first part of the divine liturgy, what do we do, sure. right? I mean, we we it's prayer and praise. I, it's really what it okay. is. Yeah. It's prayer sure. and praise. Blesses the kingdom, and then we have a great litany. We pray for things, and and then we have scripture mm -hmm. songs, right? Well, that's an awful okay. lot like what we did. A part of what we did, and and uh, and so I think it built a bridge. And so I had this roots in kind of a classic, you know, Baptist thing. Then I had the Jesus movement, which opened up my horizons, made us radical evangelical. Uh, people, my best friend went off to Explo 72. They so they showed some shots of Explo 72 uh, in Dallas uh, in the movie The Jesus Revolution. It was pretty fun to see that because my best friend went there and came back, and wow. it was a catalyst for all of us in my youth group. But then, you know, and this was, I went through Biola University. I I, I did that. Wow. It was, you know, uh, so I had a Christian college education, and um, then afterwards. Um, I was really interested in, in renewal and really interested in evangelism. So I went to some seminar, right? Yeah, everyone saw you go to a seminar. And this guy, uh, he, was a, he was a Church of England priest, but he was, wearing, he was just wearing uh, normal clothes. And, uh, and he said, hey, some of you are from Baptist evangelical roots, and you've got missions and preaching and youth groups, and blah, 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 blah. Not enough. I was like, yeah. Yeah, you know, and then uh, and then he says some of you are, some of you are Jesus freaks, you know, some of you are Pentecostal, some of you are Charismatics, you know, 
you got life in the spirit and you got this kind of ministry and all these things, not enough. He says, you got to be connected to the historic Christian church. You got to stop trying to reinvent the wheel. And he introduced the word Catholic. He said Catholic with a little C. And I'm like, I mean, I just didn't know. <laughs> what, is, what is he talking about? Uh, and, and but you know, I thought, oh, do I have to become a Presbyterian? I don't know what that is, you know, uh, you know. Uh, but it, it, and it, but the things he was saying awakened me to things I, I kind of knew but didn't think about, you know, because I had read Lewis and I had read Saint Augustine and I had read, you know, because I had a Christian college education. So it was, it was as if um, that was a catalyst, a light bulb moment to say, oh, all this stuff which is very fragmented, as you've mentioned, you know, very polarized, yeah. you know, is it charismatic or is it non-charismatic? Is it Armenian? Is it reformed? Is it this mm-hmm. or is it that, you know, which can create despair, you know, created despair in me, you know. Uh, so anyway, that, that was really, uh, I think, uh, a turning point for me to go off to seminary, begin to explore church traditions with my, my young wife and driving her crazy, visiting churches and, and trying to sort it, you know, so that Thank was kind you. of my story. So it, it was the question about the historic church, really. Um, you know, you were, you were doing your thing and you were being faithful, but, but then this man said, Hey, you know, what about the church? Don't forget about the church. Interesting. Right. Father ba- Thank you, Father David. Father Basil, what about you? So again, you know, you're, you're loving the music. It was very beautiful. You wrote this magnificent letter, uh, very Pauline, you know, and you're, you're at the top of the mountain. Uh, but, but how did you then come to orthodoxy? Okay, this is, I'll, I'll try to make it brief. The, the Jesus movement, just like the counterculture hippie, hippie thing, it kind of began to fizzle because it's not enough, as Father David, it, because it wasn't enough. We had one elder who was theologically trained. He'd been a, he'd been a Baptist minister, or, but he left all of that, and he went and joined Witness Lee. Well, Witness, well, for one thing, Witness Lee, Watchman Nee, before before him, they were all about the New Testament church. Every Protestant movement seems to be about rediscovering or discovering or uh, the yeah. New Testament church. So the church in Yuba City, that was my hometown. That's who we wanted to we wanted to be. But then our leader, the theologically trained one. He started not reading the Protestant writers and not reading all of the what's happening now literature. He started reading the Apostolic and Early Church Fathers. And he was so blown away by them that he encouraged all of us who, were, who had been around for a while to start taking up that reading. And we started reading voraciously. It was God. It was a God thing, right? So we're reading these early church fathers, and and I'm kind of wondering, you know, where are we going? Where are we going to end up in this movement? When one of my old former band mates, rhythm guitar guy, 
he said, oh, this is, you know, your, your Jesus movement thing. It's all very interesting. Why don't you come to church with me one time? And I said, okay. Well, he was Greek Orthodox. He was Greek Orthodox. I didn't know that. What did I know? So I, I went with him to a kind of a mission service that was held in an HEPA hall. It's like a club, you know, and they converted it in. They put some icons up and brought the incense and the vestments and the, oh, wow. and the Greek singing. The entire service was in Greek, right? But my friend had the book with it had the Greek on one side and the English on the other. And as I'm now, the singing is strange. It's exotic. It's sure. weird. <laughs> uh, they're singing in a language I don't understand at all. But as I'm following the English, bang, everything connected up. All of those church fathers that we had been reading, bang, I don't have to create the New Testament church. It's there. It's right here in this little clubhouse divine liturgy service that I'm attending. Amazing. And it just blew my mind. And from that moment on, the only thing I wanted to do was to become an Orthodox Christian. Amazing. Amazing. Jackie Price says on YouTube, she said, oh, that'll do it. Read the Apostolic Fathers in Church History. That's the gateway drug, LOL. <laughs> She's absolutely <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Good for you, Jackie. Good. That was a good one. Father Stephen, um, what what brought you to the Orthodox Church all the way from uh, being involved in street ministry and, and uh, everything that you were doing? Well, you know, all of this are just stories of providence. Um, and I, I think we rightly, you know, America is the entire history is a string of Protestant revival movements some of which produced mm. really weird things, others not so weird. Uh, but this was a movement that's like many others, and you could have dated it and talked about it. For me, uh, I wound up moving from commune directly to going to college and uh, at the local university where a lot of us were at. After about a, my first year or so, my best friend from the commune, uh, left the house church and became Roman Catholic. And I was very surprised by that. He was much, much better read. His father had studied under Bart in Switzerland, and he was he grew up in a very theological family. His father was a very prominent Baptist, um, but he was very academically and philosophically sophisticated in reading stuff, but he became a Roman Catholic. And I started arguing with him, and most of the arguments he made for the traditional church uh, carried weight with me. Uh, they made okay. sense. They were answers to questions that were already growing as in the not enough kind of thing or that there needs to be something else, particularly structure and some kind of connection. I, I mean, one of the problems with charis the charismatic movement is uh, it, it, the lack of control as in, you know, it, it, uh, claims for all kinds of things. And after a while, you know, we would say we were Acts chapter 29. And I kind of got to a place where I thought, well, if this is Acts chapter 29, I'm not so sure about the other 28, uh, that there needs to be more meat and, and, and something solid there than, than your constantly reported subjective impressions. I had a vision, which maybe means you imagined something, but you use this objective language for subjective experience. And so it was kind of maddening. 
And um, they were issues I had even then with Catholicism. But it, the result of my conversations with my buddy was it drove me back to Anglicanism, to the Episcopal Church where I had been before, and in a fairly high church traditional thing. And I was in university. I majored in Greek and Latin. And so, if you will, there's a lot of academics. I studied a lot of theology in college. And I went directly from college to seminary, was trained as an Anglican and ordained, and for 20 years served as an Episcopal priest with a kind of a double a double soul, a dvoye duše, as, as the Russians would say, a sort of a double soul. One was I was still very involved in renewal and uh, involved in that in parishes that I served as a priest. In other words, so that was not just a traditional liturgy, but it was also guitars and various things. I just want to say parenthetically, the fact that today, even in mainline churches and certainly the evangelical churches, the music uh, is what it is, is a direct result of the Jesus movement. It, ins- it had a vast yeah. liturgical impact across Protestant and Catholic Christianity um, that uh, goes on. Uh, a big complaint I had about it already then was that it was the temptation to move from spontaneity into a rather canned program, which it is today. I mean, it's like a television production. To me, that would have been anathema in those days. But that was one half of me. The other half of my soul was in Russia. I was reading Solzhenitsyn. I was reading Dostoevsky. I'm reading uh, along with Church Fathers and all of these things going on. My dogmatics professor in seminary has had done his doctorate at Harvard. Uh, under Florovsky, for heaven's sake, and had me reading Orthodox materials would take me to the Anglican Orthodox dialogues. I met Schmemann. He had uh, then Timothy Ware before he was Callistos. He had Timothy Ware to come and speak at our seminary. So I was, you know, getting all of that. And so I eventually, I mean, I loved Orthodoxy. I simply thought and had actually visited it in college to a Greek church, not quite as successful as in your HEPA experience. Um, I thought it was interesting. I understood it. I could tell this is the historic church, but I was politely told to go away. Um, you know, this is not your church. It's sort of, you know, go back to the Anglicans. And uh, so for years, I would simply tell God when I would think about orthodoxy, uh, leave me alone. I've already been there. They don't want me. And, you know, and that's kind of, I mean, there's miracles. If you read the story of Callisto Square converting in 1952, it's a miracle that he was even allowed to. Vladika yeah. Dimitri uh, of Dallas, of Baptist, Holy Saint yeah. of Blessed Memory, converts in 1940 as a 16-year-old in Dallas, goes to the Greek church for six weeks, and nobody even speaks to him and his sister. Doesn't even speak to them, but he won't leave because he was based, he was convinced from the reading of encyclopedia articles. There was no book in English on the Orthodox Church. Sure, then, right, right. But based on encyclopedia articles, convinced this is the true church, he says, so we stay until they speak. So this, I mean, um, even the, the vast growth we're seeing today in the Orthodox Church isn't because we're doing anything right. I mean, I don't know anybody Agreed. who has Agreed. a program that has produced any of this. It's just Agreed. happened. You know? I yeah. mean, we have strange things like, you know, Ancient Faith Radio, where you have what? A former Protestant radio guy converts and brings his <laughs> skill with him, and it just yeah, happens. John Maddox. Could have predicted, 
you know, if you try to make it, you can't make a John Maddox. God just gifted us with John Maddox. And and this, the rest of it, I mean, we're in a wave right now that who even knows where it came from? This post-pandemic just, I mean, we received 27 at Pasca this year in in, in yeah. my retirement parish. Just, it's just going on. Well, and so all of that was, you know, for me, it was eventually, you know, well, the Anglican church was burning down uh, into heresies and various other things. And uh, enough where I could look and say to my wife, we have to go to the Orthodox. There's no other home. Uh, Glory to uh, God. I will say this. I will say this. As compared to Callisto Ware's experience or Vladika Dimitri's experience, I was welcomed with open arms. Uh, Well, specifically by Vladika Dimitri. But that has continued on. And, and, I mean, here we are. uh, It's glad to have a a cradle like you here. uh, But here we are, three convert priests. Uh, I've been well-treated, honored, across every jurisdiction, uh, and there is a welcoming sure. uh, and an openness today in orthodoxy that did not exist 40 years ago. And mm-hmm. so uh, that, too, is a, an astounding movement. God is at work in all of this. Well, Providence is there. So Yeah, and I, I think I, I have to acknowledge that a lot of this is due to the work of the three of you, and men like you, because you made uh, our Orthodox churches welcoming places, and we're very grateful for it. Uh, Father Stephen, I have one. I'm going to ask you to answer a little bit briefly, because we're coming to the close of our uh, program. I, I, we have a caller coming in. Trudy, if we can take the caller, that'd be great. Um, there's a question that came up on YouTube that I think is very interesting one. I'd like Father Stephen to answer this. And it says, um, what are your thoughts or understanding in regards to public street ministry? Is it necessary? So let's talk about this in an orthodox context. Do you think that there's a place for street ministry in the orthodox faith and in orthodox witness, contemporary witness? Well, considering the fact that it's been done in orthodox in various orthodox contexts historically, of course there's a place for it. I mean, uh, I would say since it's a one-story universe and God is everywhere present and filling all things, uh, I I wear my cassock uh, out, you know, and uh, even here in Appalachia, I do all kinds of street ministry. Uh, It may be in Walmart, someone coming up to me, someone came up to me one day and said, are you a real priest? And I said, yes, I am. He said, if I buy if I buy a cross here at Walmart, he said, would you bless it? I said, yes, I will. And so, uh, I mean, I felt like we should get on the microphone and say, attention, Walmart shoppers, cross blessings <laughs> and aisle five. But, uh, you know, uh, people, I think people come up with prayer requests. I'll be at a Burger King. Yeah. I can remember one in Knoxville or Burger King in prayer requests. And I'm sure you all and other priests, we have this too. I was about five miles from St. Ticon's. I was speaking at a conference there, and I'm in a subway shop one day with my cassock on getting a sandwich, mm-hmm. and someone asked me what I was, and I thought, mm-hmm. I'm in Pennsylvania. You don't know what I am, and I told them, I said, I'm an Orthodox priest, and they were asking me about that. I said, there's a monastery and a seminary mm-hmm. not more than five miles 
away from you. And when I got back and did my talk later that day, uh, I upbraided them all and said, put your cassocks Hmm. on and hit the streets. They don't even know you're here. Um, You know, when I've been in Greece or in Israel, the two sort of places that have a strong Orthodox presence, um, people walk up to you in the street and get your blessing, kiss your hand. In other words, Orthodox is just normal there and would think nothing about street ministry. I mean, as in it's a priest, you need a priest, ask a priest. Uh, Same is true even in Israel. In America, we're weird here. And yeah. uh, we would like you to keep your religion in your church, but you know right. if you if you wear it, you're a walking sacrament. They see you. You are a witness of the gospel. I will also say I've been flipped off, spat at, uh, and physically attacked in a Catholic. Sure. Yeah. Glory to God. Right. Uh, usually for being mistaken as a Roman Catholic. <laughs> Oops. People don't like them down here. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Father. I appreciate that. Uh, One more comment came in. Uh, It says, my name is Valerie. I grew up in Baptist and I grew up a Baptist in Anaheim, went full on for Jesus at age 16 in 1971, worshiped in the Calvary Chapel tent, Christian concerts at Calvary on Saturday nights, etc., by the mercy of God, chrismated in 1996, a spiritual daughter of Father Basil Rhodes for many years. She says, I still have my spiritual bound Maranatha, uh, Maranatha music songbook on our piano. It's miraculous that any of us found our way into orthodoxy, she says. All right, gentlemen, we're going to wrap this up. I want you to answer uh, just pretty briefly here. I'm just going to ask you, Looking back, looking back now on that Jesus movement, what is uh, something good that you would say came out of the Jesus movement? If you think back on all of these things, um, something that you could point to and say, yeah, that was a really good thing. I'm going to go in reverse order this time because Father Stephen was always last. Father Stephen, I'm going to ask you first and then Father Basil, and then we're going to finish with Father David. Father Stephen, one good thing that that is is a good memory for you or that you look back on the movement and say, yeah, there was something good that came out of that. Jesus, above all else, uh, his centrality and um at the depths of, of prayer, uh, it was nothing for us to stay up all night long and pray, reading the Psalms all night long and pray until, you know, God heard us. Uh, that I might add that uh, in the commune I was in with about 30 guys, at least a half dozen of us went into, became ordained ministers. I, I, last time I counted, it was at least that. And there's probably an entire generation of men across denominations. Uh, who went into ordained ministry as a result of that. And not a few of them eventually have found their way uh, into orthodoxy. Our stories are just generational stories, much not terribly unique, just generational. And Interesting. Uh, so, yeah. We, we do have a caller. I'm going to hold on just one second. We're going to get to the caller. Father Basil, one good thing that came out of the um, Jesus movement, in your opinion. Here's a poster from our commune. I still have it. We used to hand these things out. Uh, love Read of what God. it says for our, for our audio listeners. Ah. What does it say? 
It says, Jesus, the hope of the hopeless. No man can live without hope, for without hope there is no life. And then it says, Spiva House, uh, 835 Spiva Avenue, Yuba City. And there's the telephone number and says, call any time. The hope of the world is the man Jesus. And then we used to hand these out all over the place. And love of God, zeal for God, love of the brethren, depth of uh, uh, immersion in the Holy Scriptures, uh, all of that is the good stuff that I took away from that movement, and I bless God every day that he took me there. Thank you. Thank you very much, Father Basil. Father David? I just think uh, there was a tremendous movement of building bridges, especially to the disenfranchised, uh, to people who are on the fringe, um, and it's with a tremendous motivation of love to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to people. Um and um, and I love that boldness, you know, uh, re- watching that movie again, Father Stephen, you got to watch it. Um, you know, it For just sure. kind of reminded me of that commitment that, uh, you know, uh, like a centrifuge, you're just you're going out, right? It's spinning out from the life of the church and then coming back together. And um, I think we could recapture that, you know, I, I, I've been... I've been uh, working a little bit with uh, the formation of uh, some home fellowships uh, during, you know, just succinct periods of times uh, mm-hmm. because we're all spread out. This is a commuter uh, parish, this cathedral here, and we really need, and that can be the seeds for new churches. You know, you just you have a, a home fellowship, Indeed. you're reading scripture. There's nothing wrong with this. This is all good, you know, as long Agreed. as it's done within the, the the structure of the life of Christ and the spiritual father and so on. So that's what I love. Indeed. That's what I really. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We just instituted that in our parish too. And uh, mm-hmm. we want to open it up to other people. That's been really good for us. All right. We do have a caller. Uh, I'm sorry, caller that we waited so long. Uh, I, I see a caller from Washington uh, caller. Welcome to ancient faith today. You're on the line with the three uh, Jesus movement priests. Father David, Father Basil, and Father Stephen. Father's bless. Thank you. The Lord. Thank you. Uh, I, I'm guessing you can hear me. I'm, I had to turn my computer yes, down. Yes, I can I, hear you. Okay, I'm 69 years old. I found orthodoxy at the age of 65. I, I was uh, very active in the Jesus movement. I was a preacher's kid. I ran away from home 11 times between the age of 15 and 18, and I had done wow. hundreds of acid trips and had vegetated my brain. And when I came to Jesus at the age of 19, I began reading the Bible seven, eight hours a day and going to services at a church called Redeemer Temple in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> and, and and Jesus healed my mind completely. And, and then... I began the struggle, and, and over time, and uh, eventually, I have to compress this, I uh, uh, found my two sons. My, my oldest son was killed when he was 25, and, uh, and uh, we tried to have a Christian home. We struggled. We went to church. We were involved with charismatic churches, and 
Presbyterian Church, a variety of churches, one to another and to another, and moving and constantly trying to walk that life of faith in Christ. But I struggled with a variety of, of, of secret sins and uh, things like that. And eventually, at the age of 65, I went to work for a law office. And when I was there, uh, getting close to leaving, my one son, my uh, Jeremy, called me and said, Dad, I'm, we're becoming Catholic. I said, well, I don't know anything about the Catholic Church. I'm going to have to study that. So I began studying that intensely. And I went to the RCIA, and I met with the Catholic priest, and he said, well, you're not Catholic, really. And so my youngest son in Texas was participating with me in this struggle, because by then I discovered St. Athanasius and the Didache and all these writings, and I'm like, I need the Eucharist. What am I going to do? And my youngest, and it was COVID, it was during COVID, and the churches were locked down. They were just coming out of it, and he called me. He says, have you ever heard of orthodoxy dad i said well isn't that just like catholic oh dad you've got to listen to this introductory lecture by this father evan armitage on ancient faith radio it's called okay send me the link he sends me that and that began my journey i went and found the church and they started having services in september i became a catechumen uh in october and i was uh, baptized on lazarus saturday 2021 (laughs) And uh, it transformed my life, having the sacraments, the ability to walk and get rid of all that secret sin, all that stuff that was binding me up. And I couldn't find the victorious path because I lacked the church, the true church. I lacked the sacraments. I lacked and all these things. And so three weeks after I was baptized into the church, my son down in Texas and his wife and their two little daughters were baptized into the Orthodox Church. I came into the Antiochian. He came into the OCA. And it's just been unbelievably, what a blessing. It's just been awesome. Seraphim, (laughs) I cannot imagine a better close to this show than your testimony uh, of, uh, you know, being involved in that time, but um, coming to the Orthodox faith uh, at, uh, at, at an advanced age where, you know, most people are thinking about retirement and thinking about golfing, and you are, you're, you're thinking about healing your mind and your soul. Um, I am so blessed that you chose to call in tonight, and I'm very, very thankful for you. I wish you all of the best. Uh, please greet all of your fellow Orthodox Christians and your, your children's fellow Orthodox yeah. Christians. Uh, tell them that we're very grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm so grateful for all of you. Thank you, Father. So it's just it's been a wonderful program. Good to hear hear this and to see. Uh, yeah, because you'll wonder how many people come back, you know, end up finding the Orthodox faith and finding the church. Right. And yeah, yeah I, I think, think like Father's, like Father Stephen said, you know, this is a work of God. This isn't because of any radio station or YouTuber or anything. This is God working among uh, among His creation. Thank you. Yes, Thanks, yes. Seraphim, very very thank much. You. Thank, thank you. You're so all right. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Father David, Father Stephen, Father Basil, 
thank you guys so much. It was such a blast. It was, uh, as they say in the 60s, it was really groovy uh, to hang out with you. <laughs> Am I getting it right? I, I, I didn't hang out Peace. with people who said groovy, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was big. All right, guys, thank you so much. God bless you for everything Love you all do of you. and continue you. to do for us. God thank you, Father Tom. You. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. Yeah, it was yeah, great. You too. Yeah. This is the Mod Squad. Love We're going to call you Love the you. Mod Squad. <laughs> we need Before I share a few show. final thoughts. Yeah, let's do it. I think I think this is a podcast in the making here. I We got to talk to... Um, I. I we got to talk to the bosses. All right. Before I share a few final thoughts, I want to offer my sincere thanks to uh, fathers Basil and Stephen and David for joining us tonight. Thanks to Matushka Trudy. She had a, uh, she, she really had a lot of uh, uh, work to do this evening to juggle all of this to our show production assistant, Melissa Graff for everybody that's listening in for those who will be listening I just wanted to reflect for just a minute on this. Uh, we heard about beautiful music. We heard about the love of God. We heard about a zeal. We heard about building bridges. And most of all, we heard about Jesus. Um, these are things that, that we have in our Orthodox faith. We don't need to see a, um, a, a disparity between what the Jesus movement offered and what the Orthodox faith offered. We are the original Jesus movement, and we invite all people to come to Christ uh, through the Orthodox faith, through the historic church. These three men uh, eventually made their way to the Orthodox faith, and we're so grateful for them. Let's never be ashamed uh, of being Orthodox Christians. We have the greatest blessing in the world. Uh, we have the uh, and we have this amazing treasure that people who are lost, people who are weary, people who are confused, uh, Jesus Christ is the one, the only one who can heal them. And we believe that if they are united to him in baptism, in the Eucharist, uh, they will be saved. And that's our show for tonight. Remember to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ancientfaithtoday. Share out our program after that's posted. Give us your feedback and contact us with any ideas or topics that you might want to hear about. Join us next Tuesday evening for another edition of Ancient Faith Today Live. Good night, everybody. is Ancient Faith Today with Father Tom Soroka, a weekly live call-in show addressing the issues of our day from a distinctly orthodox perspective. You can join the conversation by calling in at 855-237-2346. That's 855-AF-RADIO. Father Tom is the priest at St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 
and welcomes guests from across the globe to discuss important topics of interest. Here's Father Tom. Welcome to Ancient Faith Today Live. This is Father Tom Soroka, and I'm so glad that you're with us this evening. We'll be taking your calls in a bit at 1-855-AF-RADIO. That's 1-855-237-2346. Matushka Trudy will be answering your calls tonight, so please make sure to turn the show volume off before you come on air. Now, as always, you can send us a text message during the show anytime to 412-206-5012. That's right. Send us a text message. You're going to want to text some comments and questions about this one to 412-206-5012. And to participate online, the show is being streamed live via video on our YouTube page. And you can make comments there. Go to youtube.com slash Ancient Faith Ministries, and you will see our live video pop up right away. And as always, you can send us an email at aft at ancientfaith.com. So let's get started. The 2023 movie, Jesus Revolution, chronicled the growth of the so-called Jesus movement during the socially and politically turbulent times of the late 1960s and early 1970s. It was a time of mass and sometimes violent protests led by mostly young people against the Vietnam War and a time of shifting social and moral standards fueled often by Timothy Leary, who encouraged anyone who would listen to have a spiritual experience by taking LSD so they could turn on, tune in, and drop out. The movie focused on the work of Protestant pastor Chuck Smith, who led a small but dying church, and he met up with the wandering Christian hippie Lonnie Frisbee, and their burgeoning relationship produced a movement which transformed hundreds of thousands of teenagers and young adults to find a deeper meaning to their lives by following Jesus Christ. And while the movie rightly notes the lineage of the eventual growth of Calvary Chapel and the Vineyard Movement, another eventual trajectory involved leaders and followers of the Jesus Movement who eventually joined themselves to the Orthodox Christian Church. Notably, there were two men who were at the forefront, Jack Sparks and Dwayne Peterson, both of blessed memory, who eventually became Orthodox priests through the Evangelical Orthodox Church's eventual acceptance into the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America. And many others in the Jesus movement became Orthodox. And tonight, we're honored to have three outstanding Orthodox priests who have experience and direct memories of those unprecedented times. Father Basil Rhodes, pastor of St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in Saratoga, California. Father Stephen Freeman, pastor emeritus of St. Anne Orthodox Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee and Father David Thatcher, Dean of Transfiguration of Christ Orthodox Cathedral in Denver, Colorado. Gentlemen, we had quite a, 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 a difficult time uh, contacting everyone together, but I hope you're all there. Welcome to Ancient Faith Today. 
Thank you. Good to be here. All right. Good. So um, I, I want to maybe just go around and if we could please, uh, let's answer one by one just some very simple questions here. What we want to do is ask you uh, first, how did you encounter the Jesus movement and uh, what was your impression of it? So what I'm going to do first is start with Father Basil. Uh, Father Basil Rhodes, uh, you are connecting via, uh, at least your audio is connecting via the, the telephone. So I want to find out from you, what was your experience of the Jesus movement? Uh, and what was your impression of it at the time? Father Basil, can you hear me? Not sure if you have the mute on. Check your phone there. Uh, what we're going to do right now is let's move to Father uh, Father David Thatcher. Father David, can you hear me okay? Yes. All right. Father David, uh, tell us about your uh, impressions and, and your first involvement with the Jesus movement. What were you doing at the time and how did you find, uh, how did you encounter that? Of course, I believe that you were in California at the time. Yep. I grew up near the epicenter of the Jesus movement, especially as portrayed in the, in the Jesus revolution movie. Um, I was uh, raised in a Baptist church out there in Anaheim, California, in the shadow of the Matterhorn at Disneyland. And, uh, we, uh, as young teens uh, in the early 70s, I, I wasn't even driving yet, uh, we heard about this, uh, this church out in the bean fields of Costa Mesa, uh, which wasn't far away, but uh, they still had agriculture in Orange County. And they, anyway, so my, my friends, they said, hey, they, got a, they have a, rock, a Christian rock and roll concert. This was unheard of, really. Uh, and, and so uh, Saturday nights, I, I had a, an older boy in the in the uh in the youth group uh who had a vw bug you know no carpets it was pretty rough pretty pretty <laughs> rough anyway but you know, we jump in his vw bug and we go driving off and there was a whole uh, bunch of cars that left from our area and went down to the to the rock concert the christian rock concert and right. uh so that was our exposure and the very first time i went it was actually still in uh, a circus tent. The Jesus movement had started already. It was already years underway, but they, and they were oh. baptizing so many people from the counterculture. And, uh, and so they just didn't have room. So they put up this Barnum and Bailey three ring circus tent. Uh, and we heard the concert, but they would always preface the concert with about 25 minutes of singing these scripture songs, singing all, all, all new to us really. But it were beautiful. They're simple. They were easily harmonized too. All these young people were harmonizing, and uh, it was kind of stunning, you know, because I was church services for me were, you know, kind of the classic old-fashioned Baptist uh, sure. service. Sure. You know, forty-five minute right. sermon, salt and pepper with a hymn, a Justice I Am at the end, and uh, that was about it. So, you know, uh, this was really new, and it really opened new horizons for me, uh, that's, in terms of worship and so on. That's really amazing. Um, I, I know that to those of us who are Orthodox Christians, 
um, that's a very different experience, right, than our liturgical worship. But it, yeah. um, it, it must, and even from a standard kind of Protestant service, like you said, this was really something new. Today, I think our younger listeners would not really appreciate that. This is, you know, the church of what's happening now. You can go to any non-denominational church and yeah. you'll find music like that all the time. But yeah. you said that you encountered um, uh, uh, basically rock music or soft rock music that was uh, put to scripture verses and so forth. Um, so I think we have Father Basil on the line now. So Father Basil, yeah. can you hear us okay? I can hear you fine. All right. So let's hear some of your uh, thoughts, some of your memories about the uh, Jesus movement. How did you first encounter it? And, and what did you think of it at the time? Uh, the way I encountered it was uh, I had uh, been in a rock band for uh, a number of years and experimenting with all kinds of religion. You know, that was a time of seeking and really looking for something more than the ordinary, you know, kind of uh, worldly world and looking for God, but always in Eastern contexts and, and whatnot. And that became very disillusioning after a while. So the quest continued. And I had a friend from school who actually invited me to a Bible study at a local Methodist church. And, uh, and there, uh, it wasn't so much the Bible study that was going on in the Methodist church that was so exciting, but there were two very well-known musicians from other bands that I was familiar with, and they had been caught up in the Jesus movement. And wow. they, they began, or I, I grew up in a small town in the Central Valley of California, farming community. But these guys were exciting because their lives had so completely, completely changed. Hmm. And, uh, and I wanted to go where they were going. I wanted to do what they were doing. And so yeah. they invited me to this fellowship meeting where they probably had 30 guitars, you know, acoustical guitars banging <laughs> away. And, uh, and all these young people sitting around uh, still looking like hippies, you know. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it was exciting. It was exciting. Uh, the uh, the music was fantastic. And, you know, that was a time in our culture when, when music was huge, you know. Music right, was right. huge. And so, and, and of course, this was all young people and cute girls, and all of that was uh, very, very uh, <laughs> alluring. That's the truth. That's the truth. Uh, and so that's, that's what, and that's now, amazing. we were not part of Southern California's. We were an outgrowth of Southern California. Okay. Uh, all those guys, Jack Sparks and uh, Gilchrist, all those people that were down there. Sure. Um, our people uh, came up from Southern California. They had been affiliated with Witness Lee. Anybody heard of him? Oh, oh yeah, Lee, absolutely. Watchman Nee, right? The little, yeah, the sure. Little, the little flock movement in China. So at, at any rate, um, it was great. It was wonderful. It was exciting. Uh, I've got a little. If I could share, I've got I've got a little letter here uh, with, uh, from somebody in that in that time. I've been dead and resurrected in the Lord for a little more than a year now, and I thank the Lord that out of His tender mercy, He has numbered me with the saints to sit with Him in heavenly places. 
the Lord Jesus has been doing so much around this town that I couldn't possibly list the things. I pray that I have stood fast in Christ's victory and have not fallen to corruption. Tomorrow, Saturday, I am taking a carload of the brethren up to the Festival of Light in Chico. We have seen the victory in Christ. Praise the Lord. That's my words. And I, this is I couldn't tell Christ. if that was St. Paul to the Ephesians or that was you. <laughs> that was my note to myself. And here is the poster for the Jesus Christ Festival of Light 53 years ago that That's we were amazing. handing out on the That's streets amazing. to get young people to come. Yeah. That is great. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Father Stephen Freeman, can you hear us? Yes, indeed. You hear me okay? All right. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I know it's a little awkward because you're using a camera and the phone, but uh, we appreciate your patience with this. So uh, tell us a little bit about your encounters with the Jesus movement. What was going on in your life at that time? And how did you uh, come upon this? Well, mine is an East Coast story because it was a national movement. I I listened to uh, my West Coast brothers there and uh, you guys got big tents and huge crowds and no doubt surfer girls. Um, in South, I was in South Carolina where I grew up. Uh, I was had, had become a Christian as a teenager, but was very influenced in uh, uh, with long hair and hippie stuff and involved in all of that. The first time I met someone who identified themselves as something with the Jesus movement, I was working in a head shop. Uh, on South Main in Greenville, which is now covered in high-rise condos and hotels, but back then was a dump. But uh, I was working in a head shop on the south end of Main Street, and there was a lot of, you know, we called them street people back then, and that's they were just hippies passing through. And I met a guy from California, and in talking, he described himself as a Jesus man. I had never heard a term like that, but I liked it. Um, but it actually was, uh, I guess, in my senior year of high school, um, I was uh, I was doing a lot of folk guitar and performing in places, and I was playing in a coffee house one night that was run by the Ministerial Association in Greenville. And uh, after my set, I was in the kitchen getting my coffee, and I ran into a student from Furman University, which is a local Baptist university there in Greenville. Um, who described himself uh, as a Jesus person. And I was – part of me was on on my guard because Greenville, South Carolina is like home to Bob Jones University, and getting spoken to about Jesus on the street uh, was very, very common and uh, often could be rather brutal, particularly if you were wearing long hair. Um, And so I was sort of – cautious about this guy. I wasn't certain what it was about, but he had the most amazingly peaceful radiance and way of talking. I mean, it's like after talking with him for a half hour, I just thought, I don't know what this guy's doing. He doesn't seem to be on drugs, maybe, And uh, but I had just <laughs> never encountered anyone with that kind of tangible peace of mind. And as things were winding down that night, he invited me to a prayer group. I went to a prayer group in a house off campus, 
that was, and mind you, I'm a senior in high school, so technically I might have had a curfew, perhaps. But I, I got, I wound up getting home that night at four in the morning. Uh, but that wow. night, I ran into uh, a Jesus movement that was attached to, and this was a phenomenon uh, they don't talk as much about, but there were house churches that were starting here and there all over the country. And so these students had been attached to a, a house church. They were charismatic, so there was a kind of a Pentecostalism, and that was my initiation into that that night, and I began following up and going to meetings um, and uh, uh, various things, Bible studies, um, and uh, became I, – I had been an Episcopalian, and I wound up uh, more and more that my life and Christianity was practiced in the context of this group. I announced to my parents at the end of that senior year that I wasn't going to college uh, and that I wanted to do oh. ministry on the street. And so wow. I didn't go to college at that time. Uh, I started running the coffee house uh, that sort of became something that we ran instead of the ministerial association. They housed it, but we ran it. I ran the coffee house um, and uh, worked a secular job, you know, just a regular job in a factory and various things, and uh, to support what was already a ministry then. And uh, started moved out of home. My parents, my dad said, if you're not going to uh, go, go to college, then get out. You know, very politely, but leave. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you do. You go get a job, wow. which I did. And I moved in with a buddy from the house church, and we started a commune, which eventually numbered about 30 guys. And uh, we just did ministry. Uh, and uh, from the house, from the coffee house, uh, from on the street, um, and it there was a – and I'm sure this was true in California. There was a constant thoroughfare. It's like it's like not just being a, a Jesus person. I, we said Jesus freak, not just being a Jesus freak, but on the mm -hmm. move. There was a constant movement. We would get people in from California, from uh, various places up north, elsewhere across the south. Um, and it was like it was also like a word of mouth news going on. There was there was a there was a word of mouth uh, music going on. People were writing songs, uh, scripture songs here and there, and they just bring it with them. And you, so this was, you, there was, it was easy at that to almost feel like you were living the New Testament. Uh, I mean, for some of us, we were giving away everything we owned. Our life was doing this. And you had a sense that everybody, you know, that across the country, this was going on. Um, ours were not made up of large meetings, but there, I, I went to lots of house churches in various places within you know, driving distance and we're constantly meeting people. So um, it changed my life. That, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to follow up to that. Thank you, Father Stephen, so much, because that really helps kind of uh, paint the picture of what was going on. And anybody that saw, and I, I'm, I actually never asked the three of you, have you all seen the Jesus uh, Revolution movie? Have you seen it? I have not. Father Stephen hasn't. <laughs> All right. So, you know, but but Father Basil and Father David have. So um, the you know, what's very interesting about this is the picture that you paint, Father Stephen, it is literally exactly what they picture in there where this um, uh, Lonnie Frisbee is living in a commune and then Greg Laurie <laughs> is living in a commune. 
And what was it about the time? In other words, um, why, why was it, what, let's go before the Ju- Jesus movement. What was so attractive about uh, living freely? And, and you know, you, you referred to them, I think the hippies as, uh, I, I don't remember the term that one the, of you the used. Street but, people. Yeah, street street people. people. Um, Today, we would say that person was homeless, you know, but um, you're saying that this was a kind of political movement. So what was it about that time that people felt so free to kind of um, remove themselves from the structures of society and were just wandering around and living on the beach and, and playing music. And, and as I noted at the beginning, the attraction of uh, Timothy Leary and his philosophy of taking LSD to, to encounter a, a spiritual life or God or a higher power, whatever he thought. So what, what made that time so pregnant for that type of lifestyle? I'm going to start again with Father David. What, what do you think, Father? Why was that happening at that time? Yeah, I, I think that was, uh, I think the Jesus movement was a response to the counterculture movements that were happening in the United States already. And so, you know, the rejection of the status quo, you know, the, the, the conformist kind of world, the military industrial machine, uh, you know, uh, all these all these dynamics. So there was a political element to it, I think. But it was, you know, the response was, OK, we need to be radical and we need to and we're going to do it with Jesus. We're going to. So it, it, it kept mm-hmm. that outside of the normal structures of the local church. I mean, it's interesting in that movie how, you know, Chuck Smith was. I mean, he was not on board at first. I mean, this was there was something his daughter actually sort of helped him bridge into ministering to the counterculture uh, because, you know, he was afraid he'd lose his job as a pastor, you know. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, then it was a deep commitment. I think it's twofold. One is they wanted to stay relevant to the what was happening culturally, especially in the youth culture. And I think that they wanted to be radical in the sense of a root. They wanted to really embody um, the gospel apart from the kind of, um, I don't know what, they, what it would be called, but the kind of the, the tepid, highly structured suburbanite world of Christianity. I yeah. I see. Interesting. Father Basil, what about your reflections on the, the, the changes of the time. And I, I'm actually sort of even trying to go back a little bit. So what you're saying is the, um, this idea of freedom where people were just, you know, living, trying to be groovy and, and whatever it was, free love, free sex, you know, peace, love and rock and roll and all this stuff. Um, you know, what, what was generating that? Was it the angst, the political angst at the time? Uh, in my recollection, the counterculture was definitely a reaction to the post-war American scene that seemed to be now the war is over. Everybody is now concentrating on making money, being successful, going to college, leave it to beaver, uh, you know, 
It, it, it was a world that if somebody was serious about life at all, they would look at that and they would say, you know, that can't be all that there is. You know, what if the hokey pokey really was what it's all about? Uh, mm. and, 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 so and, and of course, that counterculture, you know, started with the beatniks. And then it grew into this big youth movement thing, and it was kind of a rejection of that vision of the world, that I that see. Weltanschauung, if you will. It's a, it's it's saying there's got to be more, and so the I counterculture see. was all about finding God. Callistos Ware pointed this out all the time. He said all of that counterculture stuff, all of that drug taking, all of that, you 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 have to see it as what it was, and that was a search for God, and that materialism wasn't the answer to the world's problem. The answer is always the same. It's the search for God, and he is, and he is the answer. So for me, the, the Jesus movement is not, uh, is not counter to the counterculture. It's a natural extension of, and maybe you could even say the fulfillment of the counterculture, because after a while— all that hippie hopefulness that was there in the beginning was crashing and burning with the drugs and the crime, wow. and it just completely Excellent. crashed. And so the some counterculture people and, and the people in the music were like, we started looking and saying, that is obviously not the answer. Excellent. 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 Very good. I appreciate it. Uh, Father Thomas Moore makes a uh, common friend of all of us. He he uh, makes the comment. He says, don't forget about Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell. Yeah, that came out in the 70s. That was very big. Uh, and, and that was uh, a reflection of the time for sure. Father Stephen, what about your insight into the the time? You know, in other words, what was really causing this, um, you know, the, these, these street people, as you said, to just chuck society and, and leave uh, society as we knew it and then uh, go on to something else or get involved in drugs uh, and then those that then turn to Jesus uh, in this Jesus movement? What do you, how do you account for that? Why was that happening? Father Stephen, we're not able to hear you. Matushka, do we have Wait, is his volume not up? Oh, there you go. Now we can hear you. Okay, sorry. All right, I was accidentally muting it. Um, the you know the scene in California, everything I gathered was much more like movies uh, and TV and Time Magazine's account of hippies. If you're living in the Southeast, as I was in South Carolina, uh, it was a very thin movement. There were certainly uh, young uh, hippie types. Uh, there was actually a lot more mixing of black and white uh, culture, which was unusual in South Carolina at that time. And there was a, you know, there was some drugging that went on, and you know, in rock and roll music, we produced some some top name groups occasionally. But um, the, you know, I, the overarching thing of the '60s, especially the last half of the '60s and the early part of the '70s, uh, was the Vietnam War, uh, and people, uh, young people, don't quite have a feel for that. We lost roughly 60,000 American boys in Vietnam. That's 10 yeah. times, uh, uh, more than 10 times what we lost uh, in Iraq. 
And a lot of young people don't even remember Iraq already. That's the 90s, early 90s. But we had, you know, nearly 60,000. So it really affected a lot. Everybody had somebody there. Most people knew somebody who died. And so there was the, the, the anti-war movement. I was involved in the anti-war movement before uh, I ran into the Jesus freaks. And the first question I asked of the guy I met that night that made me nervous, uh, I want, though I saw a lot of peace in him, I wanted to know whether or not he was a pacifist. Uh, I've been reading the Sermon on the Mount, and as far as I was concerned, if you weren't taking those words of Jesus seriously, uh, then I didn't want to hear what you had to say about Jesus. And so there was an element, though it wasn't the strongest element that I ran into, but among a lot of them, uh, there certainly was a solidarity uh, of about uh, sort of the the whole the sort of the whole bourgeois scene of the military industrial complex politics war none of this this was not a voting movement this was not a political movement um in fact i'm still sort of completely dismayed it's i I keep contact with a few of my jesus freak buddies some of them who've kind of continued on in evangelicalism and are strongly involved in politics these days, and it just I find it dismaying. Um, but I remember right, right. when we talked about society in general, uh, as often as not, we described it as Babylon. Uh, we sounded like we were from the, the islands. That's how they uh, refer to the United States as, as Babylon. And uh, we meant that as spiritually clear as possible. We um, – I think some of us really thought – first off, I don't think I thought Jesus was going to wait more than five years in coming back. So there was a, a deep sense of that um, and um, a very serious sense that nothing – that that alone mattered, uh, that discipleship to Christ was everything. I will say also this sort of a side thing. Um, we There were lots of cults that sprang up at the same time. Uh, groups that practice a great deal of control, uh, groups that practice mm-hmm. strange doctrines and other sorts of things. Um, I think of Father, dear, uh, my dear friend Father Thomas, uh, was at that time involved in a group that later evolved and became uh, Orthodox. But at that time, um, they were wearing blue robes and lived down the street from, or had a house down the street from our commune. One of the elders of our commune went down to talk with them to find out what are these people and came back and told us at a meeting uh, they're Gnostics, don't have anything to do with them. And so but that the idea that there was a group, of, a whole house full of Gnostics living down the street from you wearing blue robes, uh, that didn't strike us as strange. It just seemed like, well, there's <laughs> one more group. Um, I will say, too, (laughs) though, that in terms of like ministering to street people, one of the common things, and this was sort of a little bit of reaction to the hippie stuff, we spent a lot of time uh, helping people get out of drugs. Um, We spent a lot of time in prayer and healing. I I had a good friend who, when I first met him, couldn't read. Uh, He had just fried his brain on LSD. And I remember him sort of being a miracle story among us that through prayers and healing, he got his brain back. Um, there were uh, not, of course, as I said, I was in an inf- in a charismatic setting. Uh, uh, exorcisms were really quite frequent. Uh, we had people coming out of, of demonic uh, and uh, witchcraft and things like that. 
you could find anything and uh, and it would be on college campuses or elsewhere in high schools um, and so nobody on the official medical level was dealing with this stuff and nobody in the mm-hmm. uh, institutional church level uh, was saying anything that particular I used to travel sort of in the if you will the give your testimony circle at some institutional church um, to, because there were they didn't know how to reach their own kids um, but I mean so wow. there was uh, there was real ministry going on uh, that nobody was doing and so, but it was also a kind of do-it-yourself and uh, we had some adults uh, a young pastor who worked with us who had to look back at it and realize he had a good theological education a seminary degree uh, and he was a very uh, solid doctrinally, and so you know we were Trinitarian and and uh, you know held to Scripture uh, as authority, but without being exactly fundamentalist, we weren't literalist in that same way. Uh, we didn't think it was wrong to have a glass of wine or uh, or to yeah. smile and be happy, well, uh, or to they, laugh in church, or to dance I, in church, which we did a lot of that too. <laughs> um, we we really enjoyed Father, ourselves. Thank, thank you so much. That's so helpful. Also, and again, you're painting a very clear picture for us. We want to invite our listeners. Uh, there are, I'm sure, people that have uh, experienced the Jesus movement. Did you end up as an Orthodox Christian? I'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one 855 237 2346. That's 1 855 AF Radio. Or you can send us a text message to 412-206-5012. Now, um, gentlemen, obviously, you're all here because you became Orthodox priests. And, you know, I think the quandary about this particular movement for me is I'm, I'm looking at it as an Orthodox Christian. I know it was a product of its time. Although, frankly, it's very interesting to me that each one of you mentioned the music. You, uh, you know, Father David, you mentioned how you were attracted to the music. Father Basil, you said, what beautiful music. Father Stephen, you said you were playing the music and you were meeting some of these guys that were in these bands. And, you know, um, Here's, here's my sort of dilemma, and that is when we look at the movement and we say, look at all of these people that came to Christ through this movement, and then they might say, look at you Orthodox, you know, you, you like to sing music that's a thousand years old, and, you know, why don't you get with the program and sing some modern music, and the non-denominational churches have this, and they have guitars and, and drums and so forth, and we don't have those things. Um, my question is maybe a little bit of a difficult one, but it has to do with your then coming to orthodoxy. How did you deal with that? How did you contextualize what you went through, what you experienced, and then essentially, I would say, to a certain extent, gave that up 
to become an Orthodox Christian? How did you work that out in your mind? Because the the movement, um, you know, has so many um, has so many positive aspects to it. People were coming out of drugs. People were uh, loving God and were dedicating their lives to Christ. They were reading the Bible. They were healing other people. These are all really good things. But when you look at it, it looks very, if you'll ex- excuse the term, it looks very unorthodox, right? So what <laughs> led you then to become to become orthodox and say, well, like, I'm not doing that anymore, right? Um, so do you, you understand my gist here? Father David, again, let's begin with you. What, what kind of made you flip the switch and say, okay, I, I'm not going to be uh, involved in the Jesus movement or Jesus freaks anymore. I'm going to be an Orthodox Christian. Yeah, I think that happened in, in kind of three stages, uh, fundamentally. Uh, I grew up in a Baptist church. And honestly, while we were drawn to the Jesus movement and we we participated in it and we'd go witnessing on the beach and we'd go door to door evangelism and, and we did the guitar thing, you know, we did all, did all that stuff, but, but we were kind of still conservative suburbanite Baptist kids. And, and, uh, but it had affected us. So I had the roots in the kind of classic evangelical dispensational i don't know what you want to call it uh and then and then we had this this engagement which you know and 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 you you mentioned the contrast but honestly um you know when you look at the first part of the divine liturgy what do we do right i mean we we it's prayer and praise i really what it okay. is yeah. it's prayer sure. and praise blesses the kingdom and then we have a great litany we pray for things and and then we have scripture mm-hmm. songs right well that's an awful okay. lot like what we did a part of what we did and and uh and so i think it built a bridge and so i had this roots in kind of a classic you know baptist thing then i had the jesus movement which opened up my horizons made us radical evangelical uh people my best friend went off to explo 72 they so they showed some shots of explo 72 uh in dallas uh in the movie the jesus revolution it was pretty fun to see that because my best friend went there and came back and it was a catalyst for all of us in my youth group but then you know and this i went through Biola University. I I, I did that. It was, you know, uh, so I had a Christian college education. And um, then afterwards, um, I was really interested in in renewal and really interested in evangelism. So I went to some seminar, right? Everyone saw you go to a seminar. And this guy, uh, he was a, he was a Church of England priest, but he was wearing, he was just wearing uh, normal clothes. And, uh, and he said, hey, some of you are from Baptist evangelical roots, and you've got missions and preaching and youth groups, and blah, 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 blah. Not enough. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know. And then, uh, and then he says, some of, you are, some of you are Jesus freaks. You know, some of you are Pentecostal. Some of you are charismatics, you know. You've got life in the Spirit, and you've got this kind of ministry and all these things. Not enough. He says, you got to be connected to the historic Christian church. You got to stop trying to reinvent the wheel. And he introduced the word Catholic. He said Catholic with a little C. And I'm like, I mean, I just didn't know. What, what is he talking about? Uh, 
And, and but you know, I thought, oh, do I have to become a Presbyterian? I don't know what that is. You know, uh, you know. Uh, but it it and it, but the things he was saying awakened me to things I I kind of knew but didn't think about. You know, because I had read Lewis and I had read Saint Augustine and I had read you know because I had a Christian college education. So it was it was as if um, that was a catalyst, a light bulb moment to say, oh, all this stuff which is very fragmented, as you've mentioned, you know, very polarized, yeah. you know, is it charismatic or is it non-charismatic? Is it Armenian? Is it reformed? Is it this mm. or is it that, you know, which can create despair, you know, created despair in me, you know. Uh, so anyway, that, that was really, uh, I think, uh, a turning point for me to go off to seminary, begin to explore church traditions with my, my young wife and driving her crazy, visiting churches and, and trying to sort it, you know, so that Thank was kind you. of my story. So it, it was the question about the historic church, really. Um, you know, you were, you were doing your thing and you were being faithful, but, but then this man said, Hey, you know, what about the church? Don't forget about the church. Interesting. Right. Father ba Thank you, Father David. Father Basil, what about you? So again, you know, you're, you're loving the music. It was very beautiful. You wrote this magnificent letter, uh, very Pauline, you know, and you're, you're at the top of the mountain. Uh, but, but how did you then come to orthodoxy? Okay, this is, I'll, I'll try to make it brief. The, the Jesus movement, just like the counterculture hippie, hippie thing, it kind of began to fizzle because it's not enough, as Father David said, because it wasn't enough. We had one elder who was theologically trained. He'd been a, he'd been a Baptist minister, or, but he left all of that, and he went and joined Witness Lee. Well, Witness, well for one thing, Witness Lee, Watchman Nee, before— before him, they were all about the New Testament church. Every Protestant movement seems to be about rediscovering or discovering or uh, the yeah. New Testament church. So the church in Yuba City, that was my hometown. That's who we wanted to we wanted to be. But then our leader, the theologically trained one, he started not reading the Protestant writers and not reading all of the what's happening now literature. He started reading the Apostolic and Early Church Fathers. And he was so blown away by them that he encouraged all of us who, were, who had been around for a while to start taking up that reading. And we started reading voraciously. It was, God, it was a God thing, right? So we're reading these Early Church Fathers. And and I'm kind of wondering, you know, where are we going? Where are we going to end up in this movement? When one of my old former band mates, rhythm guitar guy, he said, "Oh, this is you know your your Jesus movement thing. It's all very interesting. Why don't you come to church with me one time?" And I said, "Okay." Well, he was Greek Orthodox. He was Greek Orthodox. I didn't know that. What did I know? So I, I went with him to a kind of a mission service that was held in an Ahepa Hall. It's like a 
club, you know, and, and they converted it in. They put some icons up and brought the incense and the vestments and the oh, wow. and the Greek singing. The entire service was in Greek, right? But my friend had the book with it had the Greek on one side and the English on the other. And as I'm now, the singing is strange. It's exotic. It's sure. weird. <laughs> uh, they're singing in a language I don't understand at all. But as I'm following the English, bang, everything connected up. All of those church fathers that we had been reading, bang, I don't have to create the New Testament church. It's there. It's right here in this little clubhouse divine liturgy service that I'm attending. Amazing. And it just blew my mind. And from that moment on, the only thing I wanted to do was to become an Orthodox Christian. Amazing. Amazing. Jackie Price says on YouTube, she said, oh, that'll do it. Read the Apostolic Fathers in Church History. That's the gateway drug. LOL. <laughs> She's absolutely <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> good for you, Jackie. Good. That was a good one. Father Stephen, um, what, what brought you to the Orthodox Church all the way from uh, being involved in street ministry and, and uh, everything that you were doing? Well, you know, all of this are just stories of providence, um, and I, I think we rightly, you know, America is, the entire history is a string of Protestant revival movements, some of which produce mm. really weird things, others not so weird, uh, but this was a movement that's like many others, and you could have dated it and talked about it. For me, uh, I wound up moving from commune directly to going to college and uh, at the local university where a lot of us were at after about a, my first year or so my best friend from the commune uh, left the house church and became Roman Catholic and I was very surprised by that he was much much better read his father had studied under Bart in Switzerland and he was he grew up in a very theological family his father was a very prominent Baptist um, but he was very academically and philosophically sophisticated in reading stuff, but he became a Roman Catholic. And I started arguing with him, and most of the arguments he made for the traditional church uh, carried weight with me. Uh, they made yeah. sense. They were answers to questions that were already growing as in the not enough kind of thing or that there needs to be something else, particularly structure and some kind of connection. I, I mean, one of the problems with charis the charismatic movement is uh, it, it, the lack of control, as in, you know, it, it claims for all kinds of things. And after a while, you know, we would say we were Acts chapter 29, and I kind of got to a place where I thought, well, if this is Acts chapter 29, I'm not so sure about the other 28, uh, that there needs to be more <laughs> meat and, and, and something solid there than, than your constantly reported subjective impressions. I had a vision, which maybe means you imagined something, but you used this objective language for subjective experience. And so it was kind of maddening. And um, there were issues I had even then with Catholicism, but it, the result of my conversations with my buddy was it drove me back to Anglicanism, to the Episcopal Church where I had been before, and in a fairly high church traditional thing. And I was in university. I majored in Greek and Latin. And so, if you will, there's a lot of academics. I studied a lot of theology in college. 
-hmm. And I went directly from college to seminary, was trained as an Anglican and ordained, and for 20 years served as an Episcopal priest with a kind of a double a double soul, a dvoye duše, as, as the Russians would say, a sort of a double soul. One was I was still very involved in renewal and uh, involved in that in parishes that I served as a priest. In other words, so that was not just a traditional liturgy, but it was also guitars and various things. I just want to say parenthetically, the fact that today, even in mainline churches and certainly the evangelical churches, the music uh, is what it is is a direct result of the Jesus movement. It, is, it had a vast yeah. liturgical impact across Protestant and Catholic Christianity um, that uh, goes on. Uh, a big complaint I had about it already then was that it was the temptation to move from spontaneity into a rather canned program, which it is today. I mean, it's like a television production. To me, that would have been anathema in those days. But that was one half of me. The other half of my soul was in Russia. I was reading Solzhenitsyn. I was reading Dostoevsky. I'm reading uh, along with church fathers and all of these things going on. My dogmatics professor in seminary has had done his doctorate at Harvard uh, under Florovsky, for heaven's sake, and had me reading Orthodox materials would take me to the Anglican Orthodox dialogues. I met Schmemann. He had... Uh, then Timothy Ware, before he was Callistos, he had Timothy Ware to come and speak at our seminary. So I was, you know, getting all of that. And so I eventually, I mean, I loved orthodoxy. I simply thought and had actually visited it in college to a Greek church, not quite as successful as in your HEPA experience. Um, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> I understood it. I could tell this is the historic church, but I was politely told to go away. Um you know, this is not your church. It's sort of, you know, go back to the Anglicans. And uh, so for years, I would simply tell God when I would think about orthodoxy, uh, leave me alone. I've already been there. They don't want me. And, you know, and that's kind of, I mean, there's miracles. If you read the story of Callisto Ware converting in 1952, it's a miracle that he was even allowed to. Vladika yeah. Dimitri uh, of Dallas, of Baptist, Holy Saint yeah. of Blessed Memory converts in 1940 as a 16-year-old in Dallas, goes to the Greek church for six weeks, and nobody even speaks to him and his sister. Doesn't even speak to them, but he won't leave because he was based, he was convinced from the reading of encyclopedia articles. There was no book in English on the Orthodox Church sure, then, right, 1940. Right. But based on encyclopedia articles, convinced this is the true church, he says, so we stay until they speak. So this... I mean, um, even the, the vast growth we're seeing today in the Orthodox Church isn't because we're doing anything right. I mean, I don't know anybody Agreed. who has Agreed. a program that has produced any of this. It's just Agreed. happened. You know, I yeah. mean, we have strange things like, you know, ancient faith radio, where you have what? A former Protestant radio guy converts. <laughs> and brings his skill with him, and it just yeah, happens. John Maddox. You could have predicted, you God know, if you him. try to make it, you can't make a John Maddox. God just no. gifted us with John Maddox, yeah. and yeah. and this exactly. the rest of it. I mean, we're in a wave right now that who even knows where it came from? This post-pandemic, just I mean, we received twenty-seven at Pascha this year in 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 yeah. my retirement parish. Just it's just going on. 
Well, and so all of that was, you know, for me, it was eventually, you know, well, the Anglican Church was burning down uh, into heresies and various other things, and uh, enough where I could look and say to my wife, we have to go to the Orthodox. There's no other home. Uh, Glory to uh, God. I will say this. I will say this. As compared to Callistos Ware's experience or Vladika Dimitri's experience, I was welcomed with open arms. Uh, well, specifically by Vladika Dimitri, but that has continued on. And, and I mean, here we are. Uh, it's glad to have a, a cradle like you here, uh, but here we are, three convert priests. Uh, I've been well-treated, honored uh, a, across every jurisdiction, uh, and there is a welcoming sure. uh, and an openness today in orthodoxy that did not exist 40 years ago. And so uh, that, too, is an astounding movement. God is at work in all of this. Providence is there. So Yeah, and I I think I I have to acknowledge that a lot of this is due to the work of the three of you and men like you because you made uh, our Orthodox churches welcoming places, and we're very grateful for it. Uh, Father Stephen, I have one. I'm going to ask you to answer a little bit briefly, because we're coming to the close of our uh, program. I, uh, we have a caller coming in. Trudy, if we can take the caller, that'd be great. Um, there's a question that came up on YouTube that I think is very interesting one. I'd like Father Stephen to answer this. And it says, um, what are your thoughts or understanding in regards to public street ministry? Is it necessary? So Let's talk about this in an orthodox context. Do you think that there's a place for street ministry in the orthodox faith and in orthodox witness, contemporary witness? Well, considering the fact that it's been done in orthodox, in various orthodox contexts historically, of course there's a place for it. I mean, uh, I would say since it's a one-story universe and God is everywhere present and filling all things, uh, I, I wear my cassock uh, out, you know, and uh, even here in Appalachia, I do all kinds of street ministry. Uh, it may be in Walmart, someone coming up to me, someone came up to me one day and said, are you a real priest? And I said, yes, I am. He said, if I buy if I buy a cross here at Walmart, he said, would you bless it? I said, yes, I will. And so, uh, I mean, I felt like we should get on the microphone and say, attention, Walmart shoppers, cross blessings in aisle five. But, uh, you know, uh, people, I think people come up with prayer requests. I'll be at a Burger King. Yeah. I can remember one in Knoxville or Burger King in prayer requests. And I'm sure you all and other priests, we have this too. I was about five miles from St. Ticon's. I was speaking at a conference there, and I'm in a subway shop one day with my cassock on getting a sandwich. Mm-hmm. And someone asked me what I was, and I thought, I'm in Pennsylvania. You don't know what I am. And I told them, I said, I'm an Orthodox priest. And they were asking me about that. I said, there's a monastery and a seminary not more than five miles away from you. And when I got back and did my talk later that day, uh, I upbraided them all and said, put your cassocks Mm -hmm. on and hit the streets. They don't even know you're here. Um, you know, when I've been in Greece or in Israel, the two sort of places that have a strong Orthodox presence, 
Um, people walk up to you in the street and get your blessing, kiss your hand. It's, in other words, orthodox. It's just normal there and would think yeah. nothing about street ministry. I mean, as in it's a priest, you need a priest, ask a priest. Uh, same is true even yeah. in Israel. In America, we're weird here. And yeah. uh, we would like you to keep your religion in your church. But, you know, right. if you if you wear it, you're a walking sacrament. They see you. You are a witness of the gospel. I will also say I've been flipped off, spat at, uh, and physically attacked in a Catholic. Sure. Yeah. Glory to God. Right. Uh, usually for being mistaken as a Roman Catholic. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. People don't like them down here. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Father. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, one more comment came in. Uh, it says, my name is Valerie. I grew up in Baptist and it, I grew up a Baptist in Anaheim, went full on for Jesus at age 16 in 1971, worshiped in the Calvary Chapel tent, Christian concerts at Calvary on Saturday nights, etc. By the mercy of God, chrismated in 1996, a spiritual daughter of Father Basil Rhodes for many years. She says, I still have my spiritual bound Maranatha, uh, Maranatha music songbook on our piano. It's miraculous that any of us found our way into orthodoxy, she says. All right, gentlemen, we're going to wrap this up. I want you to answer uh, just pretty briefly here. I'm just going to ask you, Looking back, looking back now on that Jesus movement, what is uh, something good that you would say came out of the Jesus movement? If you think back on all of these things, um, something that you could point to and say, yeah, that was a really good thing. I'm going to go in reverse order this time because Father Stephen was always last. Father Stephen, I'm going to ask you first and then Father Basil, and then we're going to finish with Father David. Father Stephen, one good thing that that is is a good memory for you or that you look back on the movement and say, yeah, there was something good that came out of that. Jesus, above all else, uh, his centrality and... Um, at the depth of, of prayer, uh, it was nothing for us to stay up all night long and pray, reading the Psalms all night long and pray until, you know, God heard us. Uh, that I might add that uh, in the commune I was in with about 30 guys, at least a half dozen of us went into, became ordained ministers. I, I, last time I counted, it was at least that. And there's probably an entire generation of men across denominations. Uh, who went into ordained ministry as a result of that. And not a few of them eventually have found their way uh, into orthodoxy. Our stories are just generational stories, much not terribly unique, just generational. And uh, Interesting. So, yeah. We, we do have a caller. I'm going to hold on just one second. We're going to get to the caller. Father Basil, one good thing that came out of the um, Jesus movement, in your opinion. Here's a poster from our commune. I still have it. We used to hand these things out. Uh, love Read what God. it says for our, for our audio listeners. Ah, what does it say? It says, Jesus, the hope of the hopeless. No man can live without hope, for without hope there is no life. And then it says, Spiva House, uh, 835 Spiva Avenue, Yuba City, and there's the telephone number, and it says call anytime. 
The hope of the world is the man Jesus. And then we used to hand these out all over the place. And love of God, zeal for God, love of the brethren, depth of uh, uh, immersion in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, all of that is the good stuff that I took away from that movement. And I bless God every day that he took me there. Thank you. Thank you very much, Father Basil. Father David? I just think uh, there was a tremendous movement of building bridges, especially to the disenfranchised, uh, to people who are on the fringe, um, and it's with a tremendous motivation of love to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to people. Um, and um, and I love that boldness, you know, uh, re watching that movie again, Father Stephen, you got to watch it. Um, you know, it For just sure. kind of reminded me of that commitment that, uh, you know, uh, like a centrifuge, you're just, you're going out, right? It's you, spinning out from the life of the church and then coming back together. And um, I think we could recapture that, you know, I, I, I've been, I've been uh, working a little bit with uh, the formation of uh, some home fellowships uh, during, you know, just succinct periods of times, uh, mm -hmm. because we're all spread out. This is a commuter uh, parish, this cathedral here. And we really need, and that can be the seeds for new churches. You know, you just, you have a, a home fellowship, Indeed. you're reading scripture. There's nothing wrong with this. This is all good. You know, as long Agreed. as it's done within the, the, the structure of the life of Christ and the spiritual father and so on. So that's what I love. Indeed. That's what I really. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We just instituted that in our parish too. And uh, mm -hmm. we want to open it up to other people. That's been really good for us. All right. We do have a caller. Uh, I'm sorry, caller, that we waited so long. Uh, I, I see a caller from Washington. Uh, caller, welcome to Ancient Faith Today. You're on the line with the three uh, Jesus Movement priests, Father David, Father Basil, and Father Stephen. Father's blessed. Thank you. The Lord. Thank you. Uh, I, I'm guessing you can hear me. I'm, I had to turn my computer yes, down. Yes, we can I, hear you. Okay, I'm 69 years old. I found orthodoxy at the age of 65. I, I was uh, very active in the Jesus movement. I was a preacher's kid. I ran away from home 11 times between the age of 15 and 18, and I had done wow. hundreds of acid trips and had vegetated my brain. And when I came to Jesus at the age of 19, I began reading the Bible seven, eight hours a day and going to services at a church called Redeemer Temple in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> and, and, and Jesus healed my mind completely. And, and then I began the struggle, and, and over time, and uh, eventually, I have to compress this, I uh, uh, found my... Two sons. My, my oldest son was killed when he was 25, and uh, and uh, we tried to have a Christian home. We struggled. We went to church. We were involved with charismatic churches and Presbyterian church, a variety of churches, one to another and to another, and moving and constantly trying to walk that life of faith in Christ. But I struggled with a variety of of, of secret sins. And uh, things like that. And eventually, at the age of 65, I went to work for a law office and 
when I was there, uh, getting close to leaving, my one son, my uh, Jeremy, called me and said, Dad, I'm, we're becoming Catholic. I said, well, I don't know anything about the Catholic Church. I'm going to have to study that. So I began studying that intensely, and I went to the RCIA, and I met with the Catholic priest, and he said, well, you're not Catholic, really. And so my youngest son in Texas was participating with me in this struggle, because by then I discovered St. Athanasius and the Didache and all these writings, and I'm like, I need the Eucharist. What am I going to do? And my youngest, and it was COVID, it was during COVID, and the churches were locked down. They were just coming out of it, and he called me. He says, have you ever heard of Orthodoxy, Dad? I said, well, isn't that just like Catholic? Oh, Dad, you've got to listen to this introductory lecture by this Father Evan Armitage on Ancient Faith Radio, it's called. Okay, send me the link. Mm-hmm. He sends me that. And that began my journey. I went and found the church, and they started having services in September. I became a catechumen uh, in October, and I was uh, baptized on Lazarus Saturday, 2021. (laughs) And uh, it transformed my life, having the sacraments, the ability to walk and get rid of all that secret sin, all that stuff that was binding me up, and I couldn't find the victorious path because I lacked the church, the true church. I lacked the sacraments. I lacked and all these things. And so three weeks after I was baptized into the church, my son down in Texas and his wife and their two little daughters were baptized into the Orthodox Church. I came into the Antiochian. He came into the OCA. And it's just been unbelievably, what a blessing. It's just been awesome. Seraphim, I cannot imagine a better close to this show than your testimony uh, of, uh, you know, being involved in that time, but um, coming to the Orthodox faith uh, at, uh, at, at an advanced age where, you know, most people are thinking about retirement and thinking about golfing. And you are you're you're thinking about healing your mind and your soul. Um, I am so blessed that you chose to call in tonight, and I'm very very thankful for you. I wish you all of the best. Uh, please greet all of your fellow Orthodox Christians and your your children's fellow Orthodox yeah. Christians. Uh, tell them that we're very grateful for you. Thank you, thank you. Oh, I'm so grateful for all of you. Thank you, Father. So. It's just, it's been a wonderful program. Good to hear hear this and to see, uh, yeah, because you'll wonder how many people come back, you know, end up finding the Orthodox faith and finding the church. Right. And yeah, yeah I, I think, think like, Father's, like Father Stephen said, you know, this is a work of God. This isn't because of any radio station or YouTuber or anything. This is God working among uh, among his creation. Thank you. Yes, Thanks, sir. Seraphim, very, very Thank much. You. Thank you. You're so All right. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Father David, Father Stephen, Father Basil, thank you guys so much. It was such a blast. It was, uh, as they say in the 60s, it was really groovy uh, to hang out with you. <laughs> Am I getting it right? I, I, I didn't hang out Peace. with people who said groovy, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I did. Whoop. And we said everybody <laughs> far out. And we said the 
answer was always one way, right? One yeah, way, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what they way. did, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was big. All right, guys, thank you so much. God bless you for everything Love you all do of you. and thank continue you. to do for us. God thank you, Father Tom. You. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. Yeah, it was yeah, great. You too. This is the Mod Squad. Love We're you. gonna call you Love the you. Mod Squad. <laughs> we need Before I share a few show. final thoughts. Show. Yeah, let's do it. I think I think this is a podcast in the making here. I we got to talk to um, I, I we got to talk to the bosses. All right. Before I share a few final thoughts, I want to offer my sincere thanks to uh, fathers Basil and Stephen and David for joining us tonight. Thanks to Matushka Trudy. She had a she she really had a lot of uh, uh, work to do this evening to juggle all of this to our show production assistant, Melissa Graff, for everybody that's listening in, for those who will be listening. I, I just wanted to reflect for just a minute on this. Uh, we heard about beautiful music. We heard about the love of God. We heard about j- j- a zeal. We heard about building bridges. And most of all, we heard about Jesus. Um, these are things that, that we have in our Orthodox faith. We don't need to see a, um, a, a disparity between what the Jesus movement offered and what the Orthodox faith offered. We are the original Jesus movement, and we invite all people to come to Christ uh, through the Orthodox faith, through the historic church. These three men uh, eventually made their way to the Orthodox faith, and we're so grateful for them. Let's never be ashamed uh, of being Orthodox Christians. We have the greatest blessing in the world. Uh, we have the uh, and we have this amazing treasure that people who are lost, people who are weary, people who are confused. Uh, Jesus Christ is the one, the only one who can heal them. And we believe that if they are united to him in baptism, in the Eucharist, uh, they will be saved. And that's our show for tonight. Remember to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ancientfaithtoday. Share out our program after that's posted. Give us your feedback and contact us with any ideas or topics that you might want to hear about. Join us next Tuesday evening for another edition of Ancient Faith Today Live. Good night, everybody.